leading us in such a wonderful, wonderful hymn. And then I look at Dr. Poland and I wonder, where did you get that necktie? <laughs> Scotland. The land of John Knox. Well, I thought it looked awfully... Presbyterianism in Scotland. I thought it looked awfully flat. I was just wondering. Thank you for not wearing a kilt, but I do like it. I like the fact. And don't worry, he'll get me back. It's good to see all of you. I see quite a few new faces. Uh, Rex and Peggy Sims back there after praying through this latest health crisis. Um, Rex, you're like the Energizer Bunny. You just keep on going. Eve is here. I saw you sitting there on the back row all the way from Kane Tuck. And then a number of others. I won't call out all the names. Just glad to, glad to see you here. As we continue, many of you, when you left, we were in the Gospel of Luke, and you came back, and we're still here. But we're making our journey through. You know... I do this. You don't need me to say this, and nobody wants me to, but I'm doing this. We're, we're working our way through a book of Scripture because so much of our exposure to the Word of God comes second or third hand. People seem to be content with little, little statements, little blurbs that we see online, social media, with opinions offered after a short little verse of Scripture often taken out of context, often applied out of context. People get exposure to the Word of God that way. And I want us to spend time as we drill down working our way through a book, not that I'm doing it well, but that we have the opportunity to spend time and actually see what God's Word says. And as I was thinking about that this morning, I thought, you know, it's kind of like somebody saying, oh, you need to see what the Grand Canyon looks like. Here's a Polaroid snapshot. Or a... Uh, you know, you need to know what it's like to to ride in a, I don't know, a high-tech, high-powered horse. Here's my bicycle. Don't settle for anything less than God's Word. Read through it. Spend time in it. Don't be content with just a little snippet here or there. Read through the Scriptures. Get a sense of what the apostles felt when everyone else was it seemed as if they were falling away and turning away from the Lord Jesus. And Jesus said to them, will you leave me too? And Peter said, Lord, where else can we go? You alone have the words of life. These words are life. So we're spending time in this book. Not that that's the only way to preach. There are other wonderful ways of preaching the scriptures. But just to give us a sense of the whole book as we make our way. Well, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. That's where we are today. And I ask you to give your attention to this reading of God's Word, reminding you that it is God's Word. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. 
Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. May the Lord bless this reading of his word. Motivation. Motivation to do things. You know, it matters. We've been moving this week items from one location to our condo back up in a stair up near Chick-fil-A. You might ask where we are. That's always the good mark. And there's some days Kathy and I have been looking for motivation, you know, to get it done. I was reminded of a story I heard when I was talking to Coach Tanner this morning about Bear Bryant. Bear Bryant apparently, in the midst of a game, and who they were playing, and when it was, is lost to me, and I just hope the story itself is true. But what I heard was this, was that in the midst of the game, the starting quarterback had to come out due to an injury. and Bear had to send in the backup quarterback. Alabama was ahead. They were ahead by three points. So a touchdown by the opposing team would win, but all they needed to do was run out the clock. Just run out the clock. So Coach Bryant gave him his instructions. He told the quarterback going in, under no circumstances are you to pass the football. You hand it off. That's all you're going to do. And on the first play, for whatever reason, he saw a man open and he decided to pass the ball. And a defensive safety ran up and intercepted. What happened after that is pretty much a blur. But what everyone agrees is this, is that the quarterback himself chased down the safety and tackled him short of the goal line, and Alabama won the ball game. Afterwards at a press conference, when they were asking Coach Bryant about his quarterback, he said, where did he get that speed? The guy that he chased down was All-American, noted for his record-breaking speed. Bear Bryant said, well, that guy was running for the goal line. My kid was running for his life. (laughs) Motivation matters, right? So what is our motivation? Why are we gathering? Why do we undertake the things that we do as believers? I would suggest to you that we have a sense of it here. It is a matter of us declaring before the world that the kingdom of God is at hand. That something so monumentally important is taking place, that we are engaged in the worship of the one true and living God, that even as we sing, as we pray, as we give our tithes and offerings, and as we go forth from here, remember, being a Christian is not just about what we do on the Lord's Day, it's about living for Him every day, and thus being His witnesses in this world, we are proclaiming the nearness of the kingdom of God. And we wonder, I know, 2,000 years ago, they were proclaiming the message, the kingdom of God is at hand. We know that Jesus has come. We know that the kingdom has been inaugurated. We know that it's here. And yet, 
we still see the messes that we do. I was just as disconcerted as you were when I saw the news early yesterday morning about those terrorist attacks in Israel and now the reprisals that are taking place. We see violence. We see every indication that this world is not getting better. It's not, by the way. And we're wondering, where is the Lord Jesus? Why does he tarry? And yet we know that God does things in his own timetable. That a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. But sooner or later, this age in which we live will come to an end. And we'll see the kingdom of God inaugurated in its fullness. You know, it's like being a child, isn't it? When I was little, it seems like it took forever for Christmas to come around. I had two big things in the year that I always looked forward to. It was Christmas and our going to the beach in the summertime. We'd go to Myrtle Beach. And, uh, you know, it seemed like it took forever. The days dragged by. The weeks dragged by. It took forever. Now Christmas comes around about every couple of months. Yeah. <laughs> Papa told me the older you get, the faster time moves along. And that's true. And so that's true also in the sense of the coming of God's kingdom in its fullness. It may seem like a long time, and it may seem yet like it's a long way off, but it's coming. Inevitably, it's coming. This whole world is obviously moving towards some sort of climax, some sort of, of ultimate experience as the pressures keep building. And so the Lord Jesus was experiencing that as the pressure was building, as the time was drawing nearer when he would be in Jerusalem. He has already started toward it. He has already begun the journey. He is moving inexorably toward Jerusalem, which will mean the laying down of his life and the death that he will die on the cross. But in the meantime, he sends out servants. Now, there's a discrepancy. Seventy. In some manuscripts, 72 and others. And I'm here to resolve it for you. I have it on good authority that we simply don't know for certain which it was. <laughs> had a friend last night that asked me, he said, how much time are you going to spend explaining why there's a discrepancy there? And I said, not long at all. I just simply want to tell you that there was a number. Somehow, in the copying of the manuscripts, this is one of those good evidences for which we state that we believe in the inerrancy of the Scriptures, but what we're really talking about are the original autographs, the original documents. We know that the figure was right there. Somehow, in the copies that we have, there has come to be this difference. But don't ever worry about those sorts of things. No, no doctrine of importance uh, is affected by that. It is just simply an anomaly that we point out. We have an even number. I think probably 72. But even so, a number so that they were able to go out two by two. And we see the Lord Jesus sending them out because his journey to Jerusalem is of such importance that he wants to send these out so that those other villages and areas that he will be going through will be prepared to know that the Savior is coming. And in this, we gain a sense of our own responsibility. Beyond the twelve who were with him, he delegates this responsibility to proclaim the kingdom and to do his work by others. And we're those others. This number easily represents 
all of us, that we too have this privilege of telling the world about the Lord Jesus. But notice, as he sends them out, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go, notice the instruction that he gives. First of all, the statement, the harvest is plentiful. Now, this is not a main point in the sermon, but let me make a point nevertheless. We live in a hostile world. We live in a world that, by and large, doesn't welcome us as believers. We see that in our own country. I've mentioned it recently. Not only are we looked at skeptically, Christians are treated with downright hostility in an increasing number of places. Um, generally, when somebody shows up, well, just recently, I saw a poll that said pastors rate somewhere below used car salesmen in terms of respect. Not to diminish used car sales. No. Bought previously owned automobiles, and I'm thankful for them. Good people sold them to me. But that's just a general perception. And we see the world, by and large, as a hostile place. But we need to take from this text that the world presents to us an opportunity. There are people out there, all kinds of people, and some may be in here, who have not yet really come to know who the Lord Jesus is and that his kingdom is near. We need to see the world as an opportunity, a place where a harvest is to be reaped. And so the issue is not the hostility of the world against us. It's the fact that there's not enough laborers to go out and do the work that needs to be done. People who are chosen of God and not yet gathered into his kingdom. Don't know how else to put it. So his first instruction following the statement is pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. How much of that petition is in your regular prayer life? We become so absorbed in our own needs and circumstances, health concerns, other issues, that perhaps the things which are a priority with God get pressed to the periphery of our own devotional life. And we engage in asking for all kinds of things aside from this one important petition that's mentioned here. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. This is the Lord Jesus instructing us. Ask, pray that laborers be sent into his harvest. It's his first instruction that he gives them upon sending them out. And as they uh, are instructed thus, he further says, go your way. You know, we're doing that every day of our lives. We're going our way. We're doing the things that we do. That's how we are witnesses. Just by showing up. I remember when a charge was being delivered to one of our new campus ministers in North Carolina and uh, taking up his uh, ministry with Reformed University Fellowship, the man who was giving the charge to him had a lot of experience with campus ministry. And I remember him looking at, the, looking at the young man and saying, listen, show up. Just show up. Be a presence on the campus. Speak to people. Greet them. Shake their hands. Get to know what their needs and concerns are. Know better how that you can pray for them. He said, aside from establishing your program and planning out your activities and the events that you're going to have week to week, 
He said, don't forget every day, just show up. And thus, all of us in life have that privilege and responsibility of showing up. By virtue of just being in a place, we can bear witness and testimony to the Lord Jesus. So go. But he makes clear, doesn't he, that he's sending them out into this hostile hostile world like lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, I've never spent a lot of time around wolves. I heard stories growing up about them. I know my great-great-grandmother, when she was a child, told my grandfather that she could remember hearing wolves howling on the ridges behind their house when she was young, going to sleep at night, and that blood-curdling feeling that resulted. She said, sort of like a corkscrew sensation going up your spine. We don't need a picture of this. We know you have lambs, which are the most defenseless of all animals, as opposed to one of the most predatory types of animals who work in packs and who are deadly. They are out to kill. So Jesus doesn't miss words, like lambs among the wolves. Further, carry no money bag, no knapsack, you know, Anytime we take a trip, one of the first things I do is go to the ATM and get a little cash. You know, I've still got enough of my dad and me that I'm concerned that at some point the credit card reader at a location won't work and I won't be able to use it. I want to have something to back it up. But he says to them not to be concerned about carrying a money bag or even a knapsack or even extra shoes. They obviously have the ones on their feet, but don't carry extra ones. And don't even stop to greet one on the road. That seems rude, doesn't it? But the point is, don't be distracted by any material or worldly things. In this particular circumstance, as he's sending them out at this moment, the priority is the message. You are to go to the place that you're going to to proclaim the message. Don't let other things entangle you. And so those who serve the Lord must trust the Lord to provide and to protect. A lamb is absolutely dependent upon the shepherd to protect it. And thus we too are dependent on him also to provide for us. But we have promises. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Further there is a note of protection in Psalm 46. This is October. We'll be celebrating Reformation Sunday at the end of the month. And I presume we'll be singing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I see a nod over in the corner. There it is. Luther's hymn based on this text. God is our refuge and strength. The very present help in trouble. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The one who protects us. They had to depend upon God for their provision and for their protection, and so must we. I told the story before. John Payton, living in the 19th century, 1800s in Scotland, uh, experienced God's call to the mission field. He wanted to go to the South Pacific, and he did. He ended up going to the New Hebrides. Uh, today we call it Vanuatu. And that day it was inhabited by cannibals. And one of the elders in John Payton's own church, one of the elders, said, Young man, you're foolishly throwing your life away. You'll travel to that far and distant land and you will be killed and eaten by cannibals. 
And what good will you have done? John Payton, in his youth, though wisely said, well, one of these days you're going to die and be eaten by worms. It doesn't matter to me whether I'm eaten by worms or eaten by cannibals, but I want to fulfill God's word and go forth and proclaim his gospel. You're not going to forget that right away. And I use that to make the point that God's kingdom, the message concerning his kingdom, must be the priority. That's why scores and scores of missionaries and answering the call to the Lord back in that day in those generations when there weren't multiple means of transportation to go to the farthest reaches of the world meant taking all of your possessions and boarding a ship and sailing for weeks at a time to a land that you had never been to before, had never experienced, in order to proclaim the gospel. And many of those people literally packed all of their possessions in wooden coffins because they assumed they would not be coming home. There is one area of Africa that literally was called Coffin Corner because it was a place where they would disembark and they would wait on the next ship to come and many of those missionaries never even got to leave that intermediate place and were buried there and took on the name Coffin Corner. Now the world would look at that and say, well, they threw their lives away. But they had in their hearts a kingdom priority that the message be proclaimed. And so Jesus, Jesus emphasizes the importance of the message. Further, in verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Wonderful proclamation. Peace. Something that we all treasure highly. And if there's one there who's referred to as a son of peace, one who treasures the things of God, then, then that will be received. But if not, it will return to you. But the point is, you don't spend any unnecessary time anywhere in this endeavor. If thus, receive, and in that way remain in the house, eating and drinking what they provide. Now, one of the things that's interesting to note is that some of these areas were not strictly Jewish. There was an intermingling of Gentiles and Jews. And therefore, it holds that it was entirely possible that they might be served something that was on the unclean side of the menu. Now, that's something we draw by way of inference. Perhaps, perhaps not. But the point is, the message of the kingdom took such priority that whatever is put before you, he says, you eat it, you drink it, receive what's provided for you. Don't feel badly about doing that. And don't even go from house to house. Go to that location, stay there, proclaim, do your work, because anything else would require more time. Oh, how Psalm 122, 6 through 9 is suddenly much more appropriate today than I foresaw this past week when I placed it in the outline. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We know the importance of praying for the peace of God's people and literally today with terrorist attacks and with military actions taking place, how we are reminded of pray for the peace of that place. But peace has this important place in our lives. May 
May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So as they are proclaiming the message, inevitably it would cause conflict. Inevitably it would cause differences of opinions to arise. But nevertheless, we pray for peace. And as they are sent out, and experience all that is before them. They will come to appreciate the instructions of the Lord where they are received. They are to be thankful as we read between the lines and gain a sense of this and eating what's set before you. You know, when I was growing up, I don't ever remember my mother making me clean my plate. Now, a lot of my friends had that instruction and generally I took it as a responsibility to do that also but one thing mama insisted on was that I eat some of everything that I was served now there were things on my plate a lot of times that I did not like but she insisted we eat some of everything and so to this day I can eat things that I don't like you know, I'll be out somewhere and I'll hear or overhear, I'll be with somebody and I'll hear some kid say, Oh, gross. You didn't say that at Mama's table. And you know, I'm thankful for that. Because I've been in a number of places at this point in my life where there were things put before me that I couldn't even identify, let alone know whether I would like it or not. But I can eat some of everything. I may not clean my plate, but I can eat it and be grateful. And so the priority of God's kingdom is such that it overrides our own likes and dislikes and preferences in that way. And it doesn't have just to do with food, does it? Sometimes we may be in a location where perhaps the worship of God is taking place and you may not particularly care for the style of music. But if you're discerning and deliberate in your intent, and happen to notice that the lyrics are sound and solid and truly exalt the name of the Lord our God, swallow it and worship God. Don't allow your preferences and tastes and dislikes in those areas prevent you from fulfilling your responsibility to the Lord. Worship Him, serve Him, proclaim His kingdom. Sooner or later, you'll be in a place where there's guitars and banjos. But in the meantime, you just have to endure. Laugh a little bit. I'm trying up here, okay? Start to say, Pastor, that's exactly the kind of music I don't like. That's okay. The priority of the kingdom. And notice as he continues, there's the healing of the sick. There's this proclamation. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Whether they receive it or whether they reject it, that's the message to be proclaimed. He doesn't say compromise. He doesn't say, well, if you go to a place and they don't like that message, let me give you plan B. And thus it is with the gospel. Paul takes this so seriously that he tells those that he's writing to, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than the one that we preach, even if he's an angel and preaches another gospel, let him be anathema. Strongest word he could use. 
The gospel is the gospel, and it must be proclaimed. And yet, it is a simple message, even as it is authoritative. And so we see in this instruction. So where it's received, there is great blessing. But in verse 11, Luke 10, where it is rejected, even the dust of the town that clings to your feet is to be wiped off against them. So the message of the kingdom is a great blessing. It means salvation to those who believe. But there is judgment. And I heard you gasp as we read that last verse, or as I read it in your hearing. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Judgment is coming. It is real. But the message is the same. It's simple. You know, isn't it wonderful? I was remembering yesterday because somebody was talking about how they had a pastor that came and visited at uh, unannounced times. Those days have pretty much gone by, but... I remember my pastor, when I was a little boy, made one of those unannounced visits on a Saturday morning because we heard the car coming up our long driveway. And my mother said, oh, no, I bet that's the preacher. (laughs) And it was. It was Pastor Fred Murphy who showed up on a Saturday morning to see me, little seven-year-old, talked with me in our living room, told me how a a child like me could receive Jesus. And I remember him talking to me. He'd gotten down on his knees and he was looking at me eye level, talking to me just like I was an adult. And I don't understand all that I did when I was seven years old. I didn't know then and I don't fully comprehend it now. But I had a sense that it was important and it was necessary that, that I actually openly, freely say to the Lord God, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. He took the time to do that. He didn't mince words. He didn't change the message because I was little. But yet, little as I was, immature as I was, I really understood enough. I I knew I'd always known that I needed Jesus, raised in a Christian home. So whether a little child or in the twilight of years, the message is simple and can be grasped. And yet it is so profound so incomprehensible that the most intelligent, highly acclaimed scholars of the ages have wondered at it. We don't have to be scholars to know that Sodom was destroyed by fire. The men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. You may think, I don't really see that going on around me. That way, you're not watching anything on television at all or aware of what's going on in our own surroundings at all. But you don't have to look across the ocean at Sodom and Gomorrah. You don't even have to have your television on. All you have to have is an awareness of your own heart. But rejection of the gospel places us in a position that is worse than that of Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know how else to say it. And so the priority in proclaiming it is understanding the urgency of the matter. We don't have all eternity as things are now. There ultimately will come an end and there will be a judgment. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. In Genesis 19. 
And he, that is Abraham, looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. I'm sure the people of those cities thought that things would continue on as they had for years. But yet there was an end that came. Somehow this morning as we were singing, I oftentimes get reflective and I look out this window at the water. There wasn't an alligator out there to distract me, so we were singing and I was worshiping the Lord. And in my mind's eye I could see just as clearly as as if she were right in front of me. Dinky Carl. She was a lady that was always in my church when I was growing up. Her name was Evelyn. I didn't know that till well along in adult years. All we ever knew was that her name was Dinky. Dinky had a hard life. Her mother that she loved and she could remember as a little girl holding on to her mama's dress when she was standing at the kitchen sink as she would every day. And Dinky was just a young toddler of a girl thinking she said she could remember so clearly how much she loved her mother and her mother was humming and she remembered just the sweetness of that moment. But in that same moment, her mother had what she learned later was a sudden and unrecoverable stroke. And that poor little girl saw her beloved mother fall to the floor and never regain consciousness. And then her father, who tried to raise her and do the best that he could his own way, committed suicide some years later. And then Dinky married a World War II veteran, a man who had seen combat in Europe. But because of that awful experience, one of them involved his his best friend with him in a foxhole one day who had a letter from home and his girlfriend saying that she had married someone else. And he took his helmet off and just stood up and he was gone. And he died in Jay's arms. And Jay sought comfort in a bottle from that day on. And Dinky found herself having to live life with an alcoholic who in his later days came to repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, she was worshiping with us every Sunday in the choir, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and even on Wednesday night, where when we would pick our favorite hymns to sing in the hymnal that we used, her favorite was always number 11. Great is thy faithfulness. I had to preach her funeral on the same day that I had to preach the funeral of my mother's first cousin. I had to do one and then rush to get to the church to do binkies. And it was a hard day. But I remember thinking as I was standing up there and remembering where she would be sitting in the choir and she'd been with us. I remember thinking that in the course of life, we all have hardships and unexplainable difficulties and burdens. But God is faithful. The news of His kingdom is wondrous. There is salvation from this world of its awfulness and wickedness and difficulties. That's the hope that we have. Not something manufactured. Not something made up by people who are trying to sell you something. But good news that's delivered to us from on high and Good news that's free to any of us who will receive it. How can it be free? How can we simply 
just repent and believe in the Lord Jesus and know that we'll be saved, we can do that because that price has been paid. It's free to us, but it's come at great cost to God himself. But he paid it through the giving of his son. And I'm here today to say to you that his kingdom and the message concerning it must be the priority in our lives. Maybe maybe things are so out of kilter right now because perhaps that's not the priority in your heart. That perhaps we're more prone to pray for comfort rather than for those laborers to be thrust into the harvest field. Maybe there are some laborers right here that God would thrust into the harvest field. But that call comes from Him. I am so thankful that we have this good news and I'm so thankful that a message like this one, which could be deemed to be just a simple salvation message. Preacher, aren't you going to get on and talk about how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to do? This is where we're supposed to live. This kingdom message, this kingdom priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. It's not elementary. This is as profound as it gets. But I'm telling you, He's faithful. Whatever you're facing, whatever difficulties you're enduring, God is faithful. I know I've gone past time. But I had this other thought. I simply want to say it. Jesus came to save us. He came to deliver us from this world. He didn't come to be just another self-help method. He didn't come just to make us more comfortable and to prop us up as if somehow to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic so that you can be more comfortable as the boat is going down. He came to save you. And what's keeping you from yielding your all to Him and saying, Lord, here am I. I am yours. I receive you. Receive me. And do with me as you will. I am yours. May God bring us all to that place of surrender. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the gospel, for the kingdom, for our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And even though we have a sense of what it is to be lambs among the wolves, we're grateful, O oh Lord, that you are our shepherd, for surely there is no greater protector or provider. And so, Father, please bless us to know how to live as those who are citizens of your kingdom. Even though we're living in a foreign land, grant that we may be those sent by the King with His message. And Lord, may You bless Bay Church to grow even more deeply in the truth that has long been its foundation, a message proclaimed from this pulpit so faithfully. Lord, may we grow in the knowledge of that wondrous grace and in this faith once delivered to all the saints. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love thy kingdom, Lord. Let's stand together as we sing in conclusion.
And so may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together.